How can you be part of a religious community that straight up denies Sometimes science it feels or like sees the church it as suspicious? Trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers, I would but they never don't even be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most vocal political voice against immigration. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually it seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical they are being homophobic too narrow judgmental disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world <sighs> the church needs therapy welcome to the newest episode of the church needs therapy now, this episode is titled Pride, the Prodigal Older Brother, and Why the Church Keeps Refusing to Party. So for those of you who are not aware of it, this month, the month of June, is Pride Month. And if you don't know what Pride Month is, Pride Month is the conscious an intentional self-affirmation and declaration of the dignity and I would add sacredness of LGBTQ plus people. So Pride Month occurs in the United States to commemorate the Stonewall riots, which occurred at the end of June 1969. So this riot and further protests and rioting over the following nights, they were like the one of the defining marking decisive and watershed moments in the modern LGBTQ rights movement and this catalyst for organizing LGBTQ pride marches on what would become a much larger scale. So as a result of this moment and the following movement that kept going, many pride events are held during this month to recognize the impact LGBTQ people have had in the world, to continue to assert the visibility of LGBTQ people in the world. And all of the all of the the, the pride parades, all the pride events, everything that comes along with it, it this is all the affirmation and declaration of people's full humanity. See, when you are a person of privilege, like especially if you are a cisgender, straight, white male like myself, we don't ever have to think about a conscious, out loud, affirming and declaring of our value because the culture, economics, the political system already assume the humanity of whiteness, of males, etc. But when you are a part of a historically oppressed, marginalized, or dehumanized group, you have to stand up and shout and make noise to affirm your dignity when you live in a culture that has tried to keep you quiet and steal your dignity, steal your dignity, make you invisible, or punish you, or shame you, or exclude you because of who you are. So Pride Month is this powerful, self-defining affirmation of humanity in the face of a country, of a culture, of a system that has historically not affirmed 
the fullness of LGBTQ plus people's humanity. So one, that's my, what is it, a, a two minute thing on what pride is. There's, the good thing is there's so many great resources now to learn about the movement of pride, to learn about the Stonewall riots, whether it's books and documentaries, there's so much stuff on so many different mediums to actually learn about the history of where we got to our, where we got to where we are today, the progress that has been made, the progress that still be, needs to be made, the barriers that are getting in the way and how you can be an ally and how you can be a part of supporting our LGBTQ plus cousins, friends, brothers and sisters, etc. So, a quick thought on pride, an introduction for people who may not be thinking about it right now. But this episode is called Pride, the Prodigal Older Brother and Why the Church Keeps Refusing to Party. And this was really inspired by an Instagram post that I saw from a former guest on here named Jared Bias. And I want to read, this is from a post of his. So Jared Bias writes on his Instagram, he says, Pride parades are a living example of Jesus's parable of the wedding banquet. Sorry, it's not a banquet. It's a banquet. He said of the wedding banquet, throwing a party and inviting the bystanders while the religious folks stand by thinking we are too good to show up. Come on. How good is that? He said pride parades are a living example of Jesus's parable of the wedding banquet, throwing a party and inviting the bystanders while the religious folks stand by thinking we are too good to show up up. So I want to expand on that a little bit and I want to add my own thoughts to that and why this is called pride in the prodigal older brother. So Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, probably one of the most religion transcending like stories there is in the Bible, meaning it's not just Christians who know about the story of the prodigal son. So what happens? The prodigal son's like, dad, I don't care if you die. Give me your money. He goes, he parties, he ends up in pig slop. He's like, this sucks. What's And what's really amazing is the scriptures don't say this son had a deep change of heart, felt completely remorseful and wanted to return and change his life. It doesn't say that. It just says the son basically looked at how terrible his life was and wanted to return. You know, son, I think that's powerful because this is a little side note. Whenever we return home to our true selves and to God, it doesn't matter why that is. It's just the turning and the opening of the heart to God that matters. So anyways, prodigal son returns home. What does dad do? Jumps off jumps up, stands up, runs to his son, totally undignified for an ancient Near Eastern man to do. He trans, he, he totally, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, steps over all the social expectations, like men aren't supposed to run like that. He's like, my son's home. He throws a huge party. Everyone's celebrating. But then, in ver- after that whole story, right? So prodigal son, great story, son returns home. We can all return home. But verse 25 says, meanwhile, and that meanwhile says there's another story happening within this story. 
And when verse 20, when Luke, sorry, Luke 15, verse 25, we tell the story of the prodigal son, verse 25, the gospel writer writes, meanwhile, and then tells the story of the older brother who is angry, upset, frustrated, pissed off, and just completely livid that his little brother has been welcomed home and is being celebrated. There's a story happening within the story. Verse 28, the gospel writer writes, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. The party is happening in the background and the brother's outside arguing with his dad and he refuses to go in because he's angry that the dad is throwing a party for the little brother. Now, one of the most important details of the story to pay attention to is the older brother is outside the party refusing to go in. He's angry that his brother left. He's angry that his brother returned. He's angry that his father threw him a party. And now the older brother is angry about everything his little brother has. And here's the thing to pay attention to, especially for the church. The older brother's anger prevents him from going into the party. The older brother's judgment prevents him from enjoying the party. The older brother is spending his energy worrying about who's in the party and by doing so makes it impossible for him to experience the joy of the party. This is why I've said for so many years, the church is not called to be the managers of the guest list. The church is simply called to be the welcoming committee. When you're worrying about who's on the guest list, it's hard to just grab a drink and hit the dance floor and have a good time. And here's what I think. We need to acknowledge that for too long and too often, the church has been the older brother outside the party, refusing to go in and wasting all of this energy, judging and worrying about what others are doing. What Jesus shows us is that if you trusted in grace, you would be filled with joy and you wouldn't spend your life judging other people and worrying about what they're doing. So a church that spends much of its energy on judgment is a church that has lost the ability to live deeply from a place of joy, to live deeply from a place of celebration, to live deeply from a place of I'm just so grateful to be in. I don't even know who's gotten into you. Know, when you're at a good party and you're and it's hilarious you're having those hilarious moments with your friend or it's good food or you're outside and it's just decorated so beautifully and you're just present, you're not thinking about who's in the party. See, if we forget the joy God has given us, we're always going to end up as the older brother outside the party, filled with judgment and refusing to go in. And that isn't who we are, who we've been created to be, who we're called to be. We are called to be people of joy. Now, when we think about pride, all of the celebrations, this deep affirmation of the humanity of a very large group of people. The church 
during the month of pride and just as a whole, too often is the older brother watching people celebrate, watching people affirm their dignity and the goodness of life, watching people dance, watching people enjoy. And so often during pride, especially the church can feel and look like the older brother who's angry, upset, judgmental, worried about the guest list, and unwilling to celebrate and party because they're too worried about who's on the guest list and judging those who are in. All those, can I dare to say, like when I look at Jared Bias's Instagram post, that those pride parades are a challenge and uh, are this prophetic challenge to the church who refuses to enter the party and the dance floor of God that is welcome to all people. Now, I remember years and years ago in our church, imagine, I mean, this is five, six years ago. I remember there was there was this couple in our church. Um, it was two women, two, I think, I forget if one identifies as bi, but it was two girls who were together, right? So from obviously people would see them as like, okay, here's this lesbian couple who's a part of Imagine, you know, young, young, young people. And, you know, they've been coming to Imagine, they're taking communion together, they're a part of the community, awesome. And then soon after that, I forget when it was, but we're doing baptisms for the community. Or it might even, we might even have just done a special one-off where it's not a group baptism, but maybe just a special one-off one for them. I kind of forget now. No, maybe it was a group. And this couple comes and they're going to get baptized together. And one of the girl's dads come. And I think it's like her stepmom who comes. And, you know, people from the church are there loving them and supporting them and laying them for those of you who don't know that means that giving them lays <laughs> giving them lays celebrating them when they come out of the water and you know when we're doing that it's just it's an interesting thing of when i believe it or not for those of you who this might come out as, as a shock when you do a baptism for straight people and when you do a baptism for gay people it's the same thing <laughs> You, it's the same exact thing. It's the same spirit who is present. It's the same Bible that's being read. It's the same church who's supporting. And the people getting baptized have the same hopes, the same dreams. They're saying the same prayers. They're coming out of the same water. It's the same thing. And it is, it is an experience of oneness with God and a declaration of who Christ is in the same way anybody would do it. For some of you, that doesn't even need to be said, but I'm going to say it right now. So we have this moment, you know, we're playing music on the beach, baptism, powerful, you're being welcomed in, it's awesome. And then I hear a story from, you know, someone from my church, maybe a couple people who, either the night before or that night, there was a group of guys from our church, and also guys who aren't a part of our church, who are sitting around a table, hanging out, and they're discussing and debating the validity of the baptism that we just did. So they're around the table and they're saying, well, you know, this is the baptism, but you're supposed to repent. And is this condoning this? Is this a, what? I don't even know exactly. I'm just kind of paraphrasing what I remember from a long time ago. And that image of that 
time stands out to me because here you have a group of and some of those guys there are like guys I know, love, respect. Other guys, honestly, I don't know as well. So it's not an indictment of any one of them. It's just the situation as a whole I'm talking about. It's this symbol, this poetic and prophetic or whatever it is sort of imagery of here's this group of and they're converse, they're debating whether or not these two girls can be embraced and accepted. And we just put it like this, whether or not they're welcome at the party. And yet while they're debating that, while they're discussing it, there's a group of people on the beach who are just doing it. We're like, we're doing the same, the thing they're debating. I remember thinking that in the moment, it's like people debate this, people argue. It's like, but we're just out here doing it. And I sense the same spirit at work here. I have in any other moment I've ever pastored, journeyed, guided with anybody in my life. You know, some people are debating whether it's possible. Other people are just living into a new reality. The same spirit, the same Bible, the same church, same hopes, dreams, some people are debating it while others are just doing it and living into a new reality. One more thing about boundaries that people have. Because what did I say? This story, this, this podcast is called Pride, the Prodigal Older Brother and Why the Church Refuses to Party or to Go into the Party. There's a story years ago at a Pride, maybe it was a couple years ago at a Pride Parade, where there was a story about this guy named. Scott Dittman, and I want to tell you what happened when he gave out free hugs to people, or what he called dad hugs. Um, this guy, Scott, better known to his friends as Howie, you know, he doesn't think of himself as this massive LGBTQ ally, but he went to a pride parade a couple years ago in Pittsburgh and made this huge impact. He heard that his friend Dana was heading to the Pittsburgh Pride with free mom hugs an organization that assists LGBTQ people and also provides hugs at an event at pride events. So he's like, well, I'm just going to go. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a free dad hugs t-shirt. He's like, I just thought maybe it would, you know, people would be stoked. Maybe people would appreciate it. Like he didn't really think much of it, but what he didn't expect or anticipate was how powerful it would end up being for others and for himself. So the first person to hug him was this young woman. And Dittman said, I turned around and she's just standing there in front of me with tears in her eyes. He said she just threw her arms around me and just thanked me over and over and over again. So think about that image. Here's this man who's saying free dad hug. So for the day he said, I'm a stand in dad for those of you who don't get the dad hugs you deserve because of your sexuality. And he says, this woman's just sobbing, saying thank you over and over. He says a second big moment, there was this other man who came and he told Dittman he was abandoned by his parents when he came out at 19. And Dittman said he just sobbed and sobbed and thanked us. He said he just melted. And he's like, man, it was an honor to be involved in that, but it was terrible at the same time. He said, you could tell they hadn't had something as simple as a hug from their dad in a long time. And that just broke my heart. And, and, and the story keeps going on, right? He says, think of the depths of their pain. Try to imagine how deep those cuts must be. And I'll add to that, if a, 
if a random person who's a symbolic stand-in as a dad, if it's that moving just to experience that. You know, the Pharisees are constantly, in the New Testament, the Pharisees are constantly defending boundaries while Jesus is constantly building bridges. The Pharisees are obsessed with deciding who is in and who is out while Jesus is just trying to invite everybody in. The Pharisees keep trying to control people's behavior while Jesus is just welcoming people to experience love. See, in the Gospels, Jesus actually completely reframes notions of sin and exclusion. You know, rather than focusing on quote-unquote unclean people, Jesus actually focuses on the boundaries that people believe separate the clean from the unclean. It's like Jesus is saying that is what's evil. That boundary that you think separates people, that's the evil thing we need to call out. The separating boundary itself is the problem. The system is what's evil. Those people are not the problem. The way you see those people is the problem. It's like Jesus is saying, what's really sinful is not the people on the other side of your line. What's sinful is the line itself. What's sinful is not the people rejected by the system. What's sinful is the religious system that is doing the very rejecting in the first place. What's sinful is not the people who we exclude from within our boundaries. What's sinful is the exclusionary boundaries themselves. What's sinful is not whoever is out when we decide who is in and who is out. What's sinful is the very spirit that spends all of its energy worrying about who's in and who's out. See, the only boundaries that separate us are the ones that exist within us. I believe that with all my heart. The only boundaries that separate us are the ones that exist within us that actually can be overcome. Pride, the prodigal older brother, the church keep refusing, or why the church keeps refusing to enter into the party. The boundaries that have been erected by political systems, religious systems, power, the need for control, systems of domination, the people on the outside of the lines are not evil. The lines are the thing that's evil. That's how revolutionary and wise and non-dualistic Jesus is. He He keeps saying it's bigger than this or that. It's actually the thing that you think creates this or that. That was the problem in the first place. And I think as the church, we can enter into the party with more freedom and joy and stop worrying and arguing and being obsessed with trying to keep people out. What is less Christ-like than trying to keep people out of a damn party? Think about that. And also, there's this really simple thought. God never asks you to do anything for others he hasn't already done for you. God calls us to embrace others because he's already embraced us. God asks us to welcome those who we see as unclean because he welcomed us when we felt unclean. God invites us to see the full humanity of others because he is the one who sees the full humanity. And even for clarity, those who you see as unclean, it's not that they're unclean, it's the very seeing that sees them as unclean, that is evil and sinful and needs to be called out in the first place. God asks us to see beyond the labels we've all been given because he sees beyond the labels people gave 
to us. Right? The scriptures say God calls us to love because he first loved us. So let's just keep being really good at throwing parties. Let's stop as a church spending all of our energy trying to keep people out. It's the, it's the lamest form of religion I can imagine. And let's not be the prodigal older brother. Let's join the party and let's join in with the choir that is marching and dancing down the street in a parade, affirming their dignity and sacredness as human beings. And would we be people who echo that, affirm that, and declare yes, because you too, we all have been created in the image of God.